Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're John chapter 9. I'll remind you a little bit of where we are and what's happening. We're going to talk today about good shepherds. Not the, not, well, we will talk about the good shepherd. But we're talking about good shepherds, plural. From John chapter 7 to about halfway through John chapter 10 is all taking, all that that's reported there takes place within a few days in, in October of the year just before Jesus was crucified. He's crucified in the spring. Well, this is the fall of that year. And uh, he went down to the Feast of Booths. That was where they make those uh, brush arbor booths and uh, remember the Exodus and all of that. Well, he, in the middle of the week, he started ministering in the temple. He's, uh, his life is at stake. He's, he's, he's wanted by the religious leaders. But he courageously begins to minister to the crowds right in the middle of that week. He, he says all sorts of amazing things. This is where he says, I'm the light of the world and, and all of these kinds of things. But one of the things he said is he said I'm, he was older than Abraham. Now, Abraham was 2,000 years before this. And so Jesus says, I was around when Abraham was. And meaning, I, I am, I am, I'm the divine son of God. And I pre-existed. <laughs> and they all got exactly what he meant. They, and some of, the, some of the religious leaders picked up rocks uh, to throw at him. And so there was a, a riot, and, and there's all this crowd, and the crowd, I think, just absorbed him and, and uh, helped him move out to, to get away. On the way out of the temple, uh, if I was at a group chasing me with rocks, uh, I would go all the way to Hebron before I slowed down, which is about six, 12, 10 miles south. Uh, not him. He gets outside the gate of the temple, apparently, and sees... A, a man who was born blind begging by the, by the temple steps. And he stops and stares at him. In other words, he's processing. He sees and the Holy Spirit is revealing something about this man. And he, he has the man uh, stand and he spits on the ground. Do you remember this? He spits on the ground and makes clay of the saliva in the dust and then puts the, the, the mud, the clay on the man's eyes. Does anyone remember what, what that represents? What is he doing? Why did he do a thing like that? He is, he is creating out of clay Adam's eyes. Now he's not healing these eyes. They never saw. Who knows what's there? Uh, this man was congenitally born with some kind of thing. There's no eyes. So he puts the clay over it. And I, I think in effect what he's saying is this is how I made Adam's eyes. He's literally revealing himself as, as the, the, the divine son who, who literally in the garden made Adam. And he makes his eyes and the man and tells him to go down and, to the pool of Siloam. Uh, and that's about a quarter of a mile south there in the city of David. The, the remains are still there. The steps are still there. It's <laughs> remarkable to be there. And, and he, he, the man washes and comes back and he sees his eyes. Are, are, well, this causes real consternation. Uh, there's a big debate with all of his neighbors. Uh, some are saying, it's, no, it couldn't be. It just looks like him. And others who know him way too well say, no, it's him. 
And you have this argument going. And then they begin to say, well, how did this happen? And he said, well, this man named Jesus um, made clay, spit and made clay and stuck the clay on my eyes and said, go wash. And I came back seeing. Uh, now, here's the problem. He did it. The Lord Jesus did it on the Sabbath. Okay, that's making clay. You know, that's his work. And so we've got this, this, this moral dilemma. So they uh, said, well, let's take you to the religious, uh, to the Pharisees. Let's take you to the ultra-Orthodox, and they'll tell us whether or not you, uh, whether or not you, he, this was a sin. And so they go to, the, they go to the, the Pharisees and all, and they begin to inquire. They said, how did it happen? He relates it again. And, and then they said, well, this is, this is a sin. And he starts, he starts arguing with them. And he says, well... How can a man who's a sinner do this for man's eyes? He says, never, never in human history has anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And, and I think you could argue that was true. And he said, if he's a sinner, how can that happen? They said, well, here, and in the middle of all of this, here came the top religious leaders. This thing turns into a formal court. Here comes the high priest. Here comes some of the Sanhedrin. Uh, I don't know if they took Jesus and everybody to there or if they just started circling up and had a meeting right there. But now we're in a formal court and they call his parents in. They said, all right, we want a testimony. Yes or no, is this your son who was born blind? And then they're, under, they're basically under oath now to testify. They're scared. The parents are really scared because the word's out on the street. If, if, if anyone testifies to Jesus being the Messiah or any such thing, they will be cast out. Now, what that means is excommunicated from the religious community of Israel. They, they will be thrown out. They will become dead. Uh, so the parents, I mean, you're, no one will recognize you. No one will greet you. No, you, you are a dead man or a dead woman if you've been cast out like that. The only thing they'll allow you to do is buy the bare necessities in the market. But you can't work. You can't participate. You can't worship. You have nothing to do. You are now basically uh, uh, just cast out of the community. So it's a terrible thing. So the parents are real careful how they answer. They said, well, we can testify this. It is our son. Mm-hmm. And we can testify, you can see now, how that happened. Who knows? You know, we don't know. He's of age, ask him. You know, kabump. You can kind of hear him go under the bus. And so everybody turns and they turn, him, turn, to, the, turn to this guy again and said, So how was it you got healed? And he said, I already told you once. Do you want to hear it again? Why do you want to hear it? Do you want to become his disciples like I am? Now, remember, this guy doesn't even know really who Jesus is. But would you notice the ferocious loyalty in him already? This guy's got steel in his spine. And and I would contend that God has put it there over these years of blindness. You know, hardship does one of two things for you. It either makes you bitter and angry at God and people... Or it drives you desperately to God. And you begin to cling to him and, and long for his promises. And who he, This man has clearly gone that way. So he didn't really know who Jesus is, but he starts fighting with. Remember this. You know, you talk about respect for authority. These, this is the high priests he's talking to. These, these, are, these are the top leaders, his shepherds, as it were. And he says, so you want to be his disciples like we are? And they, oh, that just sets them off. And they said, how dare you teach us, uh, you who were conceived in sin. 
You know, because they got the theology that if any, any child's born blind like that, either the parent sinned or he, he sinned in the womb. Remember, we went through that nonsense? But anyway, and Jesus has already answered the question, nobody sinned here. This isn't a sin issue. Uh, this, this young man was, uh, was, was born this way. He says, but the, 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 what God has been doing in his heart to be revealed, that's why I've come along. And I must do the works of the Father that he sent me. And so, so he, he, he says, do you want to see him? And the, the man refused to. And, they, and it says, and they cast him out. Uh, don't, don't, they didn't say, get out of here. They disfellowshipped him. He became a dead man uh, uh, spiritually. They, they removed him from the community of God's people. He was now a, a Gentile, as it were. He was an outsider and an, and, and, and an unclean man. That's a terrible thing. Please notice, that's a horrific miscarriage of justice. This man's only sin is he will not slander. Because what they want him to do, they want him to say Jesus is an evil man. They want him to, re- they want him to separate Jesus and say, no, just because they say, we know this man's a sinner, to renounce him. And he says, you know, well, that's a strange thing. And we know God uh, doesn't hear the prayers of sinners, and yet those who walk in his ways, he hears their prayers. And this man has done something nobody in history has done, and you're calling him a sinner? Well, at that, he's, he's standing with Jesus, and they cast him out. And then it says that when Jesus heard what they had done, when he'd heard they'd cast him out, he went looking for him. Let's pick up there. John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they'd put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And uh, I've told you, and I'll, I'll mention it in here, but the term Son of Man, when Jesus uses it this way, is speaking of himself as the as the person that da- Daniel, the prophet Daniel, saw in a vision. If you recall the, the vision, he, he looked into heaven and he saw the Ancient of Days. Remember this? Seated on, a, seated on a throne. And it says that into that throne room came one who looked like a son of man. So you have this being, this heavenly person, walk up to the very throne of God the Father, and to him is given... All dominion over every nation, tongue, and tribe of all peoples forever and ever and ever. Now, what human being, what person looking like a human, does the Father give authority over all his created order forever and ever and ever? The Son of Man. So when Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's what he's talking about. All right. Now, what's he see? He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And at this point, that word Lord could be translated sir. I don't think he still knows who he is. Watch. He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. Me. And and he, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. All right, so the man falls to his knees, I have no doubt, or even possibly on his face. The, word, the Greek word for worship it means that. He is down on his face or his knees, and he is worshiping him. And this is not done in private. There's a crowd watching. 
There, it, it, verse 40, it mentions those are the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees are what I mentioned by the ultra-Orthodox. The, they're, 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 their heart is to obey the Bible down to the last careful uh, jot and tittle of it so that God will bless the nation and no longer judge them and ever cast them out again. So their motive is good. Uh, they, and, and these are, but these are the Bible-believing leaders is who he's, who he's got. And they're, they're watching this, and they have this discussion about blind and eyes and, and uh, seeing, but I'm going to skip that today, down to verse 10, chapter 10, verse 1. And to them, to these leaders, he begins to give this teaching. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up by uh, some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. Notice this. The doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A shepherd they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. And then he teaches some more, and he actually teaches some other things. Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Would you read verse 11 with me, good and loud? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the... That's good enough to do it again. Come on. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd is, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and, and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father, here again, I lay down my life for the sheep. And then I'm going to skip the next, uh, I'll explain it another time. For this reason, verse 17, the father loves me because I what? Lay down my life so that I may take it again. Then it says in verses 19 through 21, uh, it refers to the Jews. And remember this, when, he, when John uses that term, he's not talking about the Jewish people. He's talking about the leadership, the religious leaders. So you've got this debate going on between the religious leaders among themselves. Some are believing in him. And some say, what are you doing believing in this guy? Listen to that. That's insane talk. And the other was saying, insane, huh? Well, how come he opened the eyes of a blind man? So you've got this debate going on among the religious leaders. He is picking up, Jesus, I want you to see something. He's picking up a very important passage uh, from the prophets. Uh, go with me for a second uh, to, to, to Ezekiel chapter 34. I want you to see where this image of the good shepherd comes from. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, you're right in there. Look at um, Ezekiel 34. I just want to read a little bit of it. I want you to have a feel of it. Because this is what Jesus is drawing from. 
the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, and this, Ezekiel uses the term son of man to just mean human being. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? Who are the shepherds here? The religious leaders, the, the, the priests and, and, and uh, teachers and all of those, uh, the, the religious leaders of that nation. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. In other words, you're living off the people. You're taking their money. You're using their resources. Uh, you're living well off of them. But you, you don't love them. You're just using them. Uh, those who are, here's a wonderful list of what spiritual leaders of all sorts should be doing. Here's your checklist. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and severity, you have dominated them. Let me stop there. They have just watched the shepherds of Israel take a man whose crime is he got his eyes that were born blind opened and he sees perfectly now. The man's got perfect vision and he refuses to slander the man who, who, who ministered to him. That's his crime. For that crime, they cast him out and threw him out uh, as, a, as, a great, uh, as though he was a great blasphemer. This is a miscarriage of justice. This is abuse of religious authority. This is religious abuse. And it's a glaring situation of it. In this case, this really gets interesting. I'll just tell you. The Lord says, you shepherds of Israel, you have failed to do these things. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. I myself will come and shepherd my people. I myself will find my scattered ones. I will heal them up. I will bind them up. I will, I will love my people. If you won't, I will. Now let your eye go down to verse 23. And he says how he's going to shepherd his people. He is going to send them a good shepherd. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my what? My servant David. Now at this point, when Ezekiel wrote this, David had been dead King David had been dead for 400 years. He's not talking about David. David, as, as, as Paul has, and Peter have both, both pointed out, is rotten in his grave. <laughs> so it's not him. My, so who's he talking about? Who's his servant David? The Messiah, Jesus. Yes, the Son of God. My servant David, and he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be God, their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. All right, let's go back. That's the background into which Jesus uses this. So he's looking at a situation where the shepherds of Israel have just badly abused a, a, a poor, innocent man for nothing more than being healed and loyal to the person who did it. I have no idea what the number might be. But I know it's sizable. How many people have walked away, not only from the church of Jesus Christ, but from God himself? Not because of something God did, but because of ungodly leaders. Lying, abuse of power, double standards, slander, ambition, 
lovelessness, false doctrine, financial dishonesty, sexual immorality, etc., have often been the cause of a loss of trust. But in other cases, it wasn't a lack of character, it was exhaustion of trying to follow incompetence or the boredom of shallow teaching that undermined respect. Not only for a particular troubled leader, but for the Lord's church in general. If you talk to such people, they often ask, why wasn't something done about it? Where were the elders? Where was the fear of God? If people who are supposedly so close to God can do something like that, then where is the miraculous change of heart, we've been told, takes place when someone believes in Jesus Christ? Those and many more questions like them keep echoing through a person's mind long after they have been betrayed by church leadership. Painful memories can leave that person in a grip of deep, abiding fear that to come back to God risks falling prey to such people again. The problem is as old as time. Humans have always misused religion. Yet each of us still needs to be part of God's family. We're not designed to function alone. We need shepherds, healthy, God-fearing leaders, to heal, protect, and train us. That's why every one of us has to find our way between two dangers. The fear of following the wrong humans and the loneliness of not following the right ones. Is there a way to identify good shepherds? Can we be sure that we are following the right ones? If we can answer that question, there are a lot of lost sheep that can come home. Let's listen to Jesus' answer. Just, let me put it this way. How many of you at least know someone who has been badly hurt in a church situation by leadership, where there was a miscarriage of, of something? I mean, it was unfair, it was ungodly, it was wrong, and they pulled out of the church, and as a course of that, in their loneliness, they may still be mildly loyal to the Lord, or, or even in some cases have just grown angry and downright atheistic. They've walked away from God and the church. How many know people like that? Look, look at the hands. Yeah, it, this is not a small matter. This is a huge matter uh, where, where people have been abused. Uh, Mary and I went through a situation um, uh, years ago when we were just new into, into ministry. Um, and I grew so angry that I, I wasn't going to leave the Lord, but I was going to start my own denomination. How's, how's that for humble? <laughs> I wasn't thinking big. I was just thinking, I got to go independent here. You know, I can't, I can't have anybody over me. These people, you know, they're all a bunch of, you know. So... Um, I had a, a, it was a man in a, 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 who was a pastor, a, he's in a Methodist, spirit-filled Methodist evangelist who has been an important voice in my, my, uh, my life. And he heard what I was going to do. And I think I told him. And he said, oh, no, you're not. And he got on an airplane from North Carolina and flew out. That, that's how strongly he felt. And he, he basically said, you're not going independent. Um, he said, you need to be part of a family. And I thought, and he t basically took me by the ear, practically, you know, and marched me down to the offices of, actually, the vineyard at the time. And he says, this is Steve Show. He's my friend. And they just, they all knew him and loved him. And they go, oh, well, you know, welcome, Steve. And, uh, and he was, uh, I ended up, obviously, in Foursquare. But here was the point. I needed to be under leadership. I think we all do. I mean, ultimately, the leader is the Lord himself, isn't he? None of us are leaders. All of us are followers of the leader. And the leader is the Lord Jesus. 
Uh, there's no such thing. I mean, uh, you aren't the leader of your family. Uh, you're the follower of Je first follower of Jesus. You follow him, and then they follow you. Uh, uh, any, anybody in spiritual ministry of all, at all, you follow Jesus uh, with all your heart, and then they'll follow you. Uh, but none of us are the leader except him. And so that idea, he, did, he didn't want me uncovered. He didn't want me out there by myself. I'm deeply grateful for that. I'm deeply grateful for that. He really grabbed a hold of me and just would not, uh, would not let me go down that path. I needed to be part of a flock. So Jesus here is, is talking to us. We have an example of terrible religious abuse, of misuse of authority by the invested religious leaders of that nation. And so what he does is say, says, now here, here's what you watch for. Here is what, uh, here's how you can spot a God-appointed leader as opposed to a self-appointed leader. And I want you to follow the God-appointed leaders. And, and he's, of course, he's, first of all, he's speaking of himself. I mean, he is the God, he is the good shepherd that, that the father sent because of the failure of the shepherds. But he's also teaching, he doesn't use that, he also uses shepherds, plural. He's talking about religious leaders. He's saying, here's what you look for. Now, let me, let me just tell you one more illustration, because this is what he's drawing on when he uses his story. He, he's talking about a sheepfold, and, and you and I don't see a lot of them necessarily. Uh, but sheepfolds in the, in, the, in the Near East are either piles, they make walls out of rocks, and they make these big areas, or they can make, I've seen, I've seen them out of cactus. You can take those uh, uh, beaver tail cactus, you know, with, uh, they'll make cactus uh, rings or, or sticks, you know, if you, you find enough sticks, and you make, make this big corral. And what will happen is at night is the shepherds, more than one shepherd, will bring their sheep to these folds to be uh, cared, kept at night and safe. And so you'll have several shepherds, maybe, will, will have their whole, whole group of, of, of goats or sheep go on into this fold for the night, and then there's the door, and, and someone will be there at the door. What's fascinating, I mean, I, I, I've seen it, and it, and it works. You can have a, a, a shepherd, see the Bedouins and all still do this, uh, you can have a, sh a shepherd come and call out, you think, how are they going to find which sheep is theirs? I mean, they do all sort of look alike. And, and how, how, how do you know which are yours and which is his? And how are we going to do this? And they'll come and they'll give their call. They have a call or a song. Uh, and they'll, they'll sing their little song or say the thing. And the, the sheep, and the right ones will all just come out. Oh, there we go. That's, <laughs> I hear that voice. Um, I saw a beautiful thing on, uh, uh, it was a documentary, uh, and, and, and it showed the, uh, the herdsmen, the um, Maasai herdsmen in, uh, in Africa with their cattle, and they sing a song. Each shepherd, or each, in this case, herdsman, uh, has a song. And they have, I can't imitate it, but it's this beautiful song. And, the, and, and their cows will all <laughs> follow along. And then they, they get, take them to water. And then the other one, has, the other next herdsman has his song. And all his cows will follow him. This is not made up. He's not inventing some thought. This is real life. And everyone in Israel knew exactly what he was talking about. That a shepherd could come to this fold, give his call, his sheep would follow. And, it, and then Jesus says here, he says, when he has put them forth. In other words, when they've come out of the fold. Then he says... He will not, he doesn't drive his sheep. He leads them. 
So all the shepherd has to do, once they're all outside the fold now, is the shepherd will just go to the front, and he'll start going along, maybe with his call, and the sheep will simply follow along, just like a bunch of good dogs, you know, just, here we go. That's where our shepherd's going, and they will follow. He takes that illustration and says, that is how good leadership works. Amen? All right, let's, let's look at this. The man at his feet. The man at Jesus' feet, worshiping him, had been physically blind, but not spiritually blind. In fact, during his years of disability, God had prepared him to have the courage to hold on to truth once he saw it. When God's light came to him in the form of a dramatic miracle, he immediately faced enormous pressure from the nation's religious leaders. They wanted him to renounce the person who had given him new eyes. A lesser man would have denied Jesus in order to protect himself. But not this man. He was loyal to Jesus even before he knew who he was and quick to believe once he did. When Jesus explained to him that he was the heavenly son of man, that Daniel saw in a vision of the throne room of God, the man confessed, Lord, I believe. And then he must have fallen to his knees because he worshipped him. And that confession and worship did not take place in private. Many were watching, including some Pharisees who had begun following Jesus as disciples. They, along with everyone else, had observed a terrible miscarriage of justice. A man who had done nothing more than refuse to slander someone who had restored his eyesight had been cast out by the highest religious court in the land. Many was no longer a member of Israel's community. The punishment did not match the offense. The harsh, arbitrary abuse of authority by those leaders was glaringly obvious. So Jesus used the moment to clarify in everyone's mind what had just happened and to teach them how to choose the right leaders. The doorway. I'll read it again. It's uh, John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door, say the door, door. into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Well, later on, Jesus will call himself the door, but at this point, I think something else is the door. In effect, here's what Jesus said. You have just watched bad shepherds abuse a sheep. Here's why that happened. They aren't God-appointed leaders. They're self-appointed. They have deceived and stole, stolen their way into those positions of authority because of greed. Anyone who desires to be a shepherd in God's flock must be willing to pay the price God requires of every one of his shepherds. They must be willing to die for the people they lead. I believe that's the door he means in this first part of his illustration. Because that's what he's going to explain. That is the doorway through which every God-appointed leader must pass. How do we know that Jesus is the good shepherd? Remember what you read out loud? Because he is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. You want to serve God's flock? You come in through the door. What's the door? You lay down your life for your people. You lay down your life For the people you will care for. Signs of a shepherd. Then to answer the question. How can we know who is a God appointed leader. Jesus gave us four more signs. The doorkeeper of the sheepfold. Number one. Which I believe is the Holy Spirit. Is what he's referring to. Will open the door. And that means he will welcome the God appointed man or woman. There will be evidence of sovereign guidance and miraculous provision which has led that person to this community and protects them while they're there. 
The Holy Spirit's presence will attend them when they minister. Jesus says the first thing, the first sign of a good leader is that the doorkeeper opens to them. The doorkeeper, which is, the, I believe, the Holy Spirit, the doorkeeper will welcome that which is a God-sent leader. As you look into people's lives, you look into how they, how they get into the positions they are. The God-appointed ones will have, there'll be a, there's a welcome there. There's an open door there. Where God guides, he Say it again. Where God guides, he provides. Sometimes it was, there was no way the person could do such a thing. And yet God opened the door. He provided, he provided the finances they needed or he provided the open opportunity. I was thinking about it. Uh, Mary and I have been ministering for 45 years. I have never looked for a job. I have never sought one. It was always a matter of you know, something opening or being asked. Would we take this? In some cases, yes, we felt Lord of the Lord. Other cases, no. Uh, there was places I tried to climb in over the wall. Uh, I really... <laughs> I, had, I wanted to go to San Diego bad, you know, early on. And, and I, I, boy, I tried the wall. And I was even offered a church eight times. And, uh, and yet, I, I remember sitting on a, a log in Mission Bay beside Mary. And I said, can't you get used to this? You know, we had actually lived before. And, and she says, she turns to me, you got you to live with this woman. And she says, you tell me that God told you. And I'll pack up. We'll go right home and I'll pack up. I could not lie. I could not produce anything. <laughs> right. So it, it, it. But when, but when, but when the the right place where the call was, uh, as painful as it was, uh, the Lord provided, and made it open the door. He will for you. You do not have to run the door down. In fact, when you walk with the Lord, do you think for a moment? He he will waste you. Do you think for a moment he doesn't know the gifts that are in you? He knit you. He himself knit you in your mother's womb. And by that it doesn't mean what you look like. It means your ministry capacities. It means the person he's made you. He formed you with, with a plan in mind. That's the whole point. Do you think he'll waste that? You'd never have to fight or push for ministry opportunity. You need to simply wait on the Lord. Let him do in you what he will. And that door will open. The doorkeeper will welcome you. And where he guides, he provides. God will care for you. God will open that door. God will make a way for you into the ministry areas he's called you to do. Number two. Those who love God and are familiar with the vo- his voice, the people, will recognize a person who truly speaks God's words. They can hear God's voice behind the human voice. That person's authority does not come from physical stature or force of personality, but from their faithfulness to God, which is witnessed within the hearts of those they lead. This sets religious leadership, spiritual leadership, uh, apart from just normal human leadership. Human leadership is, I mean, actually it doesn't. I mean, some of the best leaders. Haven't you noticed some of the best leaders, the best people that have led in, 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 in our country or in history have often gotten there by accident? I mean, you know, one way or another, they weren't the ones who wanted it. The ambitious group somehow didn't get it, and somebody came, got brought up from behind. It's just like David. You know, he's the youngest of the family. 
uh, and, 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 and after all this other failure and nobody, he comes down to the kid who's out with the sheep. Those, those are often the very best leaders. There's the, th- those who love God and are familiar with his voice recognize that. They listen to a person and they can tell you know the Lord. That's what establishes religious leadership, spiritual leadership. The sense that you love the Lord, you are submitted to him. I can see that in you. Because see, none of us want to follow you or me. We want to follow him. I mean, we really do. This is no joke. We want to know him. We want to follow him. He's the savior. He's our God. Uh, But when we sense in you that you know him, that there's a deep surrender in you, and then you know him well, we deeply care what you think. We, We want you to teach us and train us and encourage us. We love you. And we draw to you. That's what Jesus is pointing there, is that the... The sheep, when the shepherd came and gave his call, whatever that is, he made, they, they, you know, I, I've got this uh, one uh, thing at home on which I, these Bedouin uh, young women leading their sheep uh, out there in the, in the hillsides of, of, of Judea. Uh, and they walk along and uh, they, they sing. They've got a song. So the, these shepherdesses are just walking along, singing their song, and the sheep... You know, following along and eating a little bit here and eating just all through this dry, stony stuff with a little bit of grass here. But the shepherdesses are just singing their song. And the she- no, they don't have to drive the sheep. They're just paying no attention to them, practically. You know, they might have to go get one if it's off on a ledge. Uh, but, but they're just walking along and the sheep love their shepherd and follow their shepherd willingly because they know their voice. Jesus says, that's what you watch for. Brothers and sisters, are you listening to this? You and I, he's putting it on us. He's telling us, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. When your heart is going sideways, when you're looking at the person because of their stature or their eloquence or or whatever it is, and and you're saying, wow, sure looks like a leader. And the head says one thing, but the heart's going, no, something's wrong here. Listen to your heart. He will speak to us. Number three. Just as people must recognize a God-appointed leader, so the leader must also recognize those God has asked him or her to lead. He or she will know them by name. And now, though they may lead many, they value them. I said, what I think that means. They value them as individuals. They feel a deep sense of responsibility for those entrusted to them. They relate to them as family members. There's a difference between the person who loves a crowd and a person who sees the people, the individuals, and thinks of them as family. I remember years ago when Mary and I were just coming into Foursquare, they had a convention in Gresham uh, in a in a brand new built church, uh, the East Hill Foursquare Church. Jerry Cook was the pastor. Some of you might know his name. He's passed away now. Um, and he, that church, at that point, I think it was like 4,000 people. <laughs> and it had just, and, and it just grown way past anything in Foursquare. And it was huge. And, and Jerry was just the, 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 you know, everybody thought he was wonderful. And frankly, he was. And um, they, he was handsome, and he was eloquent, and he could preach without notes. And 
Yeah, you can see I am the polar opposite of that. Um, and and he, he, he just, all of this. And I went to the convention, and I happened to be going down a hallway. I think I might have been going toward the nursery uh, to get her, to the classrooms to get one of my children or something. And it was nobody else. And here came Jerry. You know, and I thought, <gasps> you know, and I, I wanted to just kind of go along the side and, you know, you know, this, this, here's this really important person. All, all he did is, is the way he, he was going in the other direction, and he, he looked over at me, and he made total eye contact. He looked me right in the eyes. He said, hi. Glad to see you. And he was. All, I mean, it was not phony. I mean, you can tell when it's phony. You can tell when it's, hi there, little minion. <laughs> I bet it's cool to be with me in the hallway, huh? You know, there, there are those. Uh, this was none of that. This was just, hey, bro, how you doing? I, 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 couldn't, get, I couldn't forget that. I just thought, he saw me. He cared. That's what Jesus is pointing to. It's a, this is a two-way street. Not only do the sheep know their shepherd, but the shepherd knows their sheep. The shepherd loves their people. It's not a crowd thing. Yeah, I mean, you may have a lot of them. In fact, some, some of the best shepherds have huge congregations. And yet you can tell they love the people. It isn't about the numbers. It just happened to be a lot of them. And yet their care, their discipleship, everything is geared to, to individuals. They're caring for people. And that's what Jesus is pointing there. You, you watch for the, 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 do they love me? Do they believe me? Is this about discipling me or is it, am I fitting into somebody's agenda here? Number four. God-appointed leaders will lead God's people by example, not drive them. People will trust them and freely follow them because they recognize they genuinely love them and are submitted to God. There is, a, I've said it already, really, but that resonance inside that says this person really loves the Lord and is following him, and I want to learn from him or her. Uh, I, I want that person to teach me uh, more about what the Lord they know. So I follow willingly. When you're being driven, when you're being manipulated, when you're being herded, uh, get out of it. You know, you say, well, I don't know where to go. Well, a bad place isn't the, isn't the right solution. We need to be, not in churches, gatherings, whatever it is, when someone starts gripping then you just, you didn't need to get out of that. That is not the walk we have. If the Lord himself cannot drive us, and he, he says he doesn't, then boy, you and I can't drive each other. It, it's, it's, this is a freely done thing. I love that part about the Lord. It, even though, you know, you can say you're a bond slave of Christ, Paul did, I, and I, I want to be like that. I'm still... Not a, not, not, he has not reduced me to sort of, you will do this. I'm his child, and he's asked me to do this. And I gladly do it because I love him. And, and I do it long past when, when maybe other people thought I should have stopped. But, but because I love him, it's a gift of love, isn't it? This is why we serve him. This is why we follow him. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. Uh, it's why we live for him. It's why we do what we do. Not because we have to 
When, when it's that kind of thing, when you're just being driven out of you, I'll just mention it briefly, but one of the ways, one of the things you see the driving and the manipulation in is in money. Uh, one of the, it, really, it really makes me upset. The idea where the, the, the people are presented, to, told to give to the, to the Lord uh, in order to, they're supposed to sow their seed faith and that if they'll sow into that person's ministry, they're going to get back a hundredfold. And uh, I know who started that. I know who came up with the term and I know why, I won't say. Um, but it was because they needed money for a, a building project. And it took, and so it's used universally now by, in so many areas. The idea is if you sow your seed, uh, give $1,000, give whatever it is into this ministry, then God will multiply this to you. So, so you sow into mine. Actually, if they really believed it, they'd sow into you. You know, but anyway. <laughs> Here's what it is. It's cynical. It's cynical. It assumes that the people of God would not give unless you bribed them and touched greed. Because that's what it is, isn't it? I can't get 100% return on my money at the bank. But if this will work, well, let's try it. You know, if I give you this, will, you, will I get a whole lot of money back? Now, I'm not saying we don't tithe and we don't give to the Lord. But that's another subject altogether. That's a, that's a thing we do out of, out of compassion, out of love, and out of faith. But it's not a law to us. Nor is it a bribed gimmick when you're priming the pump. I believe they do it because they don't think the people of God will give. What I have found is if you're honest... And if the need and the, and the needs are and, and you're truly being righteous and careful, the people are extremely generous and 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 love the, the body of Christ. You and I, I love to do it too. We love to give. We love to give to the things. We love to see hundreds of people come to Christ, and and and, and things happening. We love to be part of that. You don't have to bribe us. You don't have to trick us into something. We, we'll do it because we want to serve Jesus. If we, are we going to get something back for it? But well, what our hope is, we'll get sold. You know, and you, and you, I don't need to bribe God into providing for me. Where he guides, he does what? Yeah. He's my provider. I don't need to gimmick him into caring for me. I have lived this for, for, for many decades. I'm, look how old I am. I know what I'm talking about. He is your provider. And you walk in his ways. Amen. All right, signs of a false shepherd. Jesus also gave us signs to watch for that will expose a self-appointed leader. Number one, because the doorkeeper, the Holy Spirit, does not welcome that leader, he or she must pretend to be someone they are not. He or she must seize a leadership role God has not given them. They climb in over the wall. You'll see all kinds of uh, political and ambitious things. and uh, you know, Never mind. You've seen it. You know what I mean. Number two. Those who love God and are familiar with his word will grow agitated and frightened by what they are hearing. They will feel an inner tension between what is being spoken or decisions that have been made and what their heart tells them is true. They will not trust that person or willingly follow their lead. When you see decisions being made based on political considerations, based on sort of, uh, you know, just, just human strategies, and no one has sought the word of God, no one has really prayed, no one has gone before the Lord for his mind, something's out of order. And, and, and you'll find your spirit kind of going, hmm, is this right? Is this? You'll find yourself troubled in here, even if your head says, no, this is okay. Your spirit will be troubled by what you're seeing. Jesus says, listen to it. 
Jesus says, listen to it. There are self-appointed and there are God-appointed. Number three, a self-appointed leader will not know God's people by name. They will not love them or value them as individuals. They will value them only by the size of the crowd. Number four, a self-appointed leader will see God's people as a source of funds. There will be an emphasis on giving money. They will steal their resources, kill their walk with God, and destroy their relationships with one another. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God is not all about giving money. That is not the number one topic uh, that the Bible talks about. Number uh, number five, a self-appointed leader will abandon God's people when trouble comes. They will flee and let let the people fend for themselves. When I, uh, when I started uh, in ministry, the Vietnam War was on. And if you uh, went to seminary, you got a, a, a deferment from being drafted. Let me tell you, the seminaries were packed. Uh, Bible colleges and seminaries we just had standing room only uh, during those years of the draft. Now, why, why are they there? Uh, now, I don't know. Don't, well, some of them undoubtedly are there for the right reasons. Now, I, you might suspect me. And uh, you say, well, aha. Yeah. Well, let, me, let me just tell you briefly my story out of defense here. Uh, in the middle of all of that, um, uh, in my senior year of college, uh, I, I went on a thing called the global semester. And it was around the world for five months. And, uh, and, um, and Mary also. And there were 30, 30 students and professors and all that. Anyway, I was sitting on my, my bed, or this, this, this mat thing you have, in India. And I got a letter from home saying, um, they just sent you this. And here was my uh, draft card. I'd, I now was 2S. Somehow the school had not sent in my, my report. Now that I was out of the country, they forgot about me. And so I was now standing for the draft. And I looked at this and I thought... Oh, I better do something, you know, because I, I need, I'm not ready to do this. And um, this is right in the height of the Vietnam thing. And um, I, I looked at it and I said, Lord, what do I do? And here's what he said. And I, I'm not making this up. He said, let it ride. Now, you know, let it. Yeah. You did? And that was the year, the beginning of the um, lottery for the draft. And I thought, let it ride? You know, and he says, let it ride. I wanted to so write somebody and say, I'm here. And all right, I'll stand for the draft. Here we go. Well, that year, my number came up, my my birth date. By birth dates, they give you a number. My number was 137. They drafted up through 135 or 6. Right to it. Oh, I want you to know I was... Oh, boy. Because at that point, he got back out. I'm in. I'm, I'm in. But I was not drafted, so I have stood for the draft, and I am now out. So what was he doing? He was actually freeing me from any sense that I would go to seminary or Bible college, which I didn't know I was going to do at that point, by the way. I thought I was going to go to be a medical missionary. And, I, and so here the Lord does this for me. To free me so there's no tie there to that reason. In that point, as I said, thousands of people are pouring into the seminaries. How about today? Not so much. Uh, Today you have 1,500 pastors a month leaving the ministry. These are hard times, aren't they? 
These are dangerous times. You can kind of sense the cloud building on the horizon. You can sense the difficulties. You can sense all that's there, the pressure, the, the, the disapproval of the culture against us. Uh, some of us saying, you know, we're, we're all of these bigots and everything else. All, you can feel that. Not so much now are people pouring into the ministry. It's a dangerous time. What did Jesus say? He said that the true shepherd, when he sees the wolf coming, will not flee. The true shepherd will die to defend the sheep. Remember David? He was a true shepherd, wasn't he? What did he, he, had, he had grown up. And what did he do when the bear and the lion came? He took one of them by the beard and <laughs> killed it. That'll do, you know. Uh, I mean, that boy, uh, that boy was, he showed his mettle. He showed who he was as a shepherd. He fought those things to defend his sheep. And therefore, one of the Psalms, I love this. I was just reading it. One of the Psalms says, I took David from the sheepfolds and I took him from the, the phrases, from the care of the, of the ewes, the, the female sheep, and the suckling lambs. And I made him the shepherd of Israel. He was trained as a shepherd, fighting for his sheep, to fight for his people. A true shepherd does not run when, the, when danger comes. A true shepherd defends their people to the death. A good shepherd. With these criteria in mind, the difference between Israel's spiritual leaders at that time in its history and Jesus became, becomes very evident. The high priest's family had climbed into the God's sheepfold over the wall. They had paid the Romans money to buy that position. And once they got it, they used their authority mercilessly to extract resources out of the people. They didn't love God or the people, but fiercely defended their position. No one trusted them to lead them closer to God. They obeyed only because they feared them. But when Jesus came, the Holy Spirit miraculously opened the door to welcome him. One divine appointment and miracle after another made it possible for him to speak to the nation. And through his though his message divided people, many followed him willingly. But even if they didn't understand everything he said or did, they knew in their hearts he had been sent by God. They recognized his voice. A word of caution. You and I have a responsibility to be very careful about who we follow. So much damage occurs when we follow the wrong leaders. If it doesn't damage you, if you're strong enough, it may, it'll get your children or it'll get your spouse. I mean, it's just, you, it's, this is something you cannot toy with. That's why he's given us such, such careful guidance. However, a word of caution, pardon me, but if we watch for these signs that Jesus gave us, we won't be misled, at least not for long. However, a word of caution is needed. There are no perfect human shepherds. There is only one completely good shepherd, and that's Jesus. Even the best human leaders make mistakes, have moments of weakness, or struggle at times with their attitude toward those they lead. But in spite of such imperfections, the signs of a good shepherd will still be there. There is a huge difference between a God-appointed leader who is struggling and a self-appointed leader who is abusing God's people. Prayer and much grace need to be directed toward a good shepherd who is struggling in a season of weakness. But a self-appointed leader must not be followed. Ask the right questions. So, once more, how do I know if I'm following the right person? Based on what Jesus taught us, ask these questions. Number one, how did that person get into that position? 
Did God open a door for them or did they climb in over a wall? Is there evidence that God guided that person to this position? Is the Holy Spirit present when they minister? That's really big. Is the Holy Spirit come when they minister? I have learned over the years that when there are religious leaders put in front of me and there is no anointing, to beware. And I have often learned that, uh, I, I often think to myself, such a good speaker, such a handsome person or beautiful person, such, such skill in what they do, and yet God's not here. <laughs> have you felt this? Yeah, right now, Pastor. Uh, no. no. Oh. Thank you. I'm just, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. But you, you know what I mean. Everything in the head says, this is, this is remarkable. And yet, he's like, yeah, but Lord, you didn't show today. Where are you? Yeah. I have learned when I feel that, that there's something wrong. And it's usually, as time goes on, worse than I thought. I'm just telling you. I'm not trying to plant suspicion. I'm just telling you. When God anoints a man or a woman, Sunday school class down to the, from, the, from, the, from the littlest lambs to, to, the, to our senior ministry, it doesn't, it doesn't matter where it is, it doesn't matter what it's doing, you know that when a person's moving in their gifting and, and their call, there's a grace there. You just feel it. Like, man, the Lord's here. The Lord's here. When that Lord is, the Lord isn't here, lights ought to go on. Just be really careful and begin to ask questions. Number two, when I listen to this person, do, do I have a sense that the, God speaks through them? Are they simply, or are they simply good at what they do? Does, that, does my heart often confirm what they say, or do I feel confused or worried? Number three, is per, does this person lead us or drive us? Do I follow out of respect or only out of fear or a sense of duty? Do I feel I'm being manipulated to fit into this person's personal agenda? Do I admire their walk with God and want to become like them? Number four, does this person love us enough to die for us? When there was a crisis or trouble, how did they respond? Did they protect us or instinctively move to protect themselves? Have they made costly sacrifices in order to care for us? You can watch for that. You can see. Uh, because frankly, any real ministry is costly. And so people who step into it and follow the Lord have paid prices and are paying a price to do what they do. And you can just see that. There is the shepherd's heart. An appeal to scattered sheep. Faced with an example of severe religious abuse, Jesus gave his followers a set of guidelines to protect them from following self-appointed leaders and to reveal those whom God had sent. Some of us who are listening to this message right now have been abused by church leaders and may, may have walked away from God's people and even God himself because you are afraid that might happen again. While there is no guarantee that you will not encounter bad leaders, armed with these guidelines given to us by the good shepherd himself, you will not be deceived for long, if at all. He has given us the tools to separate the genuine from the false. So please... Try again. Come home. God's family needs you. And you need us. Would you stand with me? We are not intended by the Lord to live alone. One of the great gifts of coming to Christ is that we become part of God's family. 
And that's not just a theological truth. That's meant to be a, a living community of people. We're supposed to be with each other. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to pray for each other and encourage each other. We're supposed to be there when, the, when one of us is down. The others lift us up and, and we do that for them when, when they're down. We belong together. I, I, I was in my cave for the last four weeks. Mary took me out the last few days and took me to Orcas Island because I was just getting really strange. It, and, and I would listen online, you know, and things, and, but uh, it's different. Haven't you noticed that when you gather and worship with others, it pulls you? I, I can worship alone. I mean, I've been at this a long time. I can break through, but boy, when I get with you, I always break through. When I get with you, I, I, I can feel just that. I, f I feel it's us, not just me. Isn't that a lovely word, us? Yeah. We, the family of God, are worshiping our Lord. Now, notice how I, I think of this all the time because I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. I use it. I, I know what each passage means, and I, I minister that. But it, it's, it's our Father, not my Father, who art in heaven. Our Father. And we forgive our debts. Everything's in the plural. He put it there on purpose. We, the people of God, have come before the Lord and are praying together. We, the people of God, are worshiping together. Uh, David, over and over, says, I want to declare your glory in the great congregation. In other words, when the gathered people, I want to say what you did and who you are. I want to, I want to talk. I love this passage. He says, I, I want to speak to the, to the Lord God in my old age. Don't forsake me. Until I have declared your praises to the next generation. Nothing's in isolation. Nothing's meant to be done alone. All kinds of... So if you were the devil, what would you do? You would attack relationships like left and right. You would go after leaders. You would put false people in. You would, you would just hammer this thing. Because the last thing you want is the community of God's people loving each other and moving together as they've been designed to do. Lord's given us some great tools today. He, he, he did it on purpose. He said, here's what you watch for. Follow good shepherds. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you that we can obey our Lord. And thank you that his words are true and, and, and eternal. And if we will follow the Lord Jesus, we will, we will be and follow good men and women. Thank you for putting us into the family of God. And Lord, we pray that wherever there are those who are scattered sheep, those who are lonely and lost, those who've been badly wounded, if there is a way we can reach out and minister to them, to, we're, we're told to seek after those who are scattered. Help us do that. Help us love them and help us reach them. And thank you, Lord, for the family you've placed us in. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.